0: When I started this podcast I said I was going to try and do two things number one I was going to try and be unbiased I wasn't going to let my Liverpool fandom shine through too much and number two I wasn't going to swear but I'm going to start today by just throwing the first one out and hopefully I'll be able to stick to the second one but if I can't apologies in advance Liverpool drew 2 all with Everton at the weekend And on the face of it, it's a good result because Everton were top of the league going in. They remain top of the league now. They've been in great form. It's easily the best Everton team in a decade, maybe more. Uh, They're full of confidence. And Liverpool were coming off a 7-2 defeat at the hands of Aston Villa. But there's no way to be happy with this game at all. And most of it is the fault of Jordan Pickford. So we'll start the game off with Liverpool scoring early. A lovely move, the ball gets switched from right to left, gets to Andy Robertson, good cross in, and Sadio Mane scores, and all of a sudden, you're very, very excited as a Liverpool fan about the possibility of giving Everton a bit of a slapping. And then, old T-Rex arms himself, the tiny-armed man comes galloping off his line, flings himself into Virgil van Dijk, and somehow gets away with it somehow gets away with it uh there's a couple of things to unpack here now number one virgil van dyke has torn his acl and is almost certainly done for the season number two uh jordan pickford escaped any and all punishment now i can buy the argument that van dyke was offside but the notion that he could score with his elbow, so the line that the VAR use is his elbow, is utter nonsense. What I can't buy is the decision not to punish Jordan Pickford for that tackle. That tackle is an absolute disgrace. Now, it's not malicious. Let's be very clear on this. He didn't set out to hurt Virgil van Dijk. I I refuse to believe that Jordan Pickford, as terrible a goalkeeper he is, is that type of ment- like mentally damaged player that he would set out to, to hurt a, a fellow pro. But he does have a track record of this. This is not the first time he's done that type of tackle. The previous time was to Delhi Ali in 2018, and Delhi just got very, very lucky. Virgil didn't get as lucky. Now, it's a red card tackle all day long. It just is a red card tackle all day long. Arlo White, who was commentating on the game, said that they heard immediately after that there was no check done for a red card on Pickford. That they only checked on the offside, that they didn't check on the tackle. After that, the Athletic reported that there was a check done. Now, that seems to me like they tried to cover their arse. That seems to me like they didn't look at the the tackle. Because there's no way you could look at the tackle. And even if you didn't think it was a red card, surely it's a yellow card. Surely there's some punishment. But no, Jordan Pickford gets away with a ridiculously poor tackle that is built from the fact that he is incredibly rash, a genuinely bad goalkeeper. He's not a poor goalkeeper. He's a genuinely bad goalkeeper. He's one of the worst goalkeepers in the Premier League at this point. And he's in a terrible run of form. But if you watch him, he's not watching the ball. He comes out and he just flails at Van Dyke, And Van Dyke has to go off. And Liverpool now lose him for the season. And Pickford escapes all punishment. Now, um, it's been reported by John Cross in the Mirror that Pickford could face uh, some sort of punishment. I won't hold my breath on that one. We go on then. Michael Keane scores from a header uh, from the area that Van Dyke would have been in on a set piece. So there's slap in the face, number two. Uh, then Mo Salah scores a brilliant goal, a great finish. Uh, tiny Arms can't get anywhere close to it. And I'm going to call them Tiny Arms for the foreseeable future. So apologies in advance. That's just what it's going to be, the little runt. Uh, yeah, so Salah scores. It's it's 2-1. Liverpool are happy. And then Everton score again. And once again, it's a cross into the area that Van Dijk would have been marking. But instead of Van Dyke, it's Joe Gomez and Andy Robertson, uh, probably the two worst players in the Liverpool team from an aerial point of view, at least in terms of defenders. Uh, so there's there's the third slap in the face. So Van Dyke's been injured, and the keeper's gotten away with a horror tackle. Then you have the first goal in Van Dyke's area from a set piece. Then you have the second goal. Uh, in Van Dyke's area. Now, it's a great header by Calvert-Lewin, and all credit to him. He's having a a tremendous season. Um, Really, really impressed with him so far. So it's 2-2. And then you see one of the worst tackles you're going to see all year long, as Richarlison, I believe, maliciously, went in to try and hurt Thiago Alcantara. Now, he's... I think he's 22. He has three straight reds. And all of them are for some sort of violent conduct. I think, I think there's something off with him. I've, I've been a fan of him. And I think there's a, there's a really nice bit of snide about him. But there's something else as well. There's a streak in him that is dangerous. And would very much give me caution about wanting him in my team. Uh, to have three straight reds already at this point in your career, really not a good look. It's a horror tackle. He rightly gets a straight red after pretending to be injured. Um, and then Liverpool score. Alcantara picks himself up off the ground, plays a gorgeous pass to Mane. Mane crosses to Henderson. Henderson kind of hits a bobbler that just bends away from from tiny arms and finds its way into the net, it's a perfectly good goal. Uh, it's a perfectly good goal. And then the VAR decision comes in, and it's ruled out for offside. And the lines that they've drawn are crooked. Um, so it's, it's very hard to take this one. It's really, really hard to take this one. I've seen people after the game suggest that Everton matched Liverpool. That Everton deserved a point. Liverpool had 22 shots. Everton had 11. Liverpool had 59% possession. Everton at home had 41%. At home. The XG on the game. Liverpool's is 2.48. Everton's is 1.36. In every measurable aspect of the game. Liverpool completely outplayed Everton. They had a perfectly fine goal disallowed. They should have had a penalty and a red card at the other end. It was called off for a weird offside due to Van Dyke allegedly being able to score with his elbow. I, I'm not sure. It just adds insult to injury to hear that Everton matched Liverpool when nothing of the sort took place. Liverpool comprehensively outplayed an Everton team that are in the best run of form they've been in in 10 years. Uh, And they did it while in a little bit of a a slump themselves. The levels between the two clubs were obvious to everybody. And I say this as somebody who's been really impressed with Everton this year. And who wants Everton to do well. I don't have any ill will towards Everton. I have ill will towards Jordan Pickford. He's on my list. (laughs) Now, to be clear, he's on my list to call him tiny arms. That's about the height of of what I'm going to do. But... Unfortunately, he hasn't bothered to come out and publicly apologize to Van Dyke, which I just think is a little bit of an asshole move. The only Everton player that's come out and spoken about Van Dyke publicly is Yannick Bellassi, who doesn't even train with the first team anymore. Um, And and that's a little bit disappointing, because we've seen players from Manchester City, fans of City, players from Bayern Munich and all over the place tweeting sending messages of support to van dyke you know it it would be nice t- for jordan pickford to come out and say look i've got tiny little arms and i'm really really sorry uh for for the foul and you know i didn't mean to hurt it blah blah blah, blah whatever um that would be really nice N- not to side up to jordan henderson and whisper in his ear will you tell virgin i'm sorry i mean that's nonsense and henderson should have told him where to go rather than coming out in the post match and saying oh, well he said he was sorry like nonsense um, all in all an absolute calamity Liverpool have lodged something of a complaint with the Premier League about wanting the, the VAR thing reviewed understandably I think I, I'd love to know the, the logic and the reasoning behind these things um, Richarlison did apologise to Alcantara and then did a weird thing where he tried to defend himself, it, it's indefensible what you did it's a horrendous tackle. You should be ashamed of yourself and you should be ringing your folks to apologize to them because you've let your parents down. That's what you've done Richard. You've let your parents down. Uh, I may be letting mine down with this rant. Um, we'll move on. Uh, Chelsea said Hampton. Uh, Chelsea. Chelsea looked really good for about 40 minutes in this game. Timo Werner gets two goals. Uh, some people will say that they're really well worth goals. I would say they're absolutely appalling defensive errors on Southampton's part. I would say that defensively, Southampton looked a shambles in this game. Um, yeah, Werner gets his first two goals. It's, it's great for him, gets himself off the mark. It's obviously been something that's been weighing on him because he hasn't been performing. But once he got the first one, You could see his performance level go up. Danny Ings gets a goal back just before half-time, and you still kind of think, okay, Chelsea are going to win this game. This is going to be a comfortable win for the home team. They're the better team. They've got the better players. But calamity strikes once again. Uh, Chelsea are conceding, on average, 1.5 goals a game under Frank Lampard since he took over, which is dreadful for any team with real ambition at the top of the league. And while Kepa will no doubt get all the the blame and abuse for this goal, it's 100% on Kurt Zuma. It's 100% on Kurt Zuma. Why are you trying to play that ball back to your goalkeeper? Just put it in the stands. Just put it as far away as possible. Just boot it up in the air if you have to. Don't play it back to the goalkeeper. He underhits it by a mile. Che Adams breaks onto it. And then there's a weird thing where Kepa comes out and clearly doesn't want to foul Adams, and it ends up missing everything, ball, man, the whole lot. Um, Adams misses his first chance, but gets it back and buries the second. And you think, okay, I uh, still fancy Chelsea here. They're still the better team. They've still got the better players and they go down and they score. Kai Havertz gets his first goal. Really, really well worked goal. No complaints over the defense for this. Lovely play by Pulisic into Werner and the simple crossover. And Havertz has a tap in. It's a really well worked goal. They looked in that moment. The three of them looked like it just clicked. um, and you think that's it. That's 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 it. Chelsea will just hold this out and they'll take the three points and be a little bit disappointed to have conceded two but they'll take the three points. Uh, and instead they conceded another goal. Uh how I don't know. It's a simple cross into the box. I don't know how Vestigar gets to that ball. Chelsea's defenders should be there first. Um but he scores. <laughs> and it's it's one point when it should have been three. It's a great point for Southampton. They'll be thrilled with it. They showed real dogged determination, real fighting spirit. They showed some some prowess and attack without question. They got a little bit of luck, but they they you know they rolled it when they needed to, and that's kind of what you have to do. I thought Lampard's comments after the game were a little bit disrespectful when he said teams like Southampton. That's a little bit disrespectful, Frank. And um, I, I I think you might want to think about you know how you word these things especially when you're one point ahead of Stampton in the league. Um, And you haven't beaten them yet as Chelsea manager. Uh, Up next, then, we had Man City playing host to Arsenal. I thought this was a good game. Low scoring, 1-0 win to City. Raheem Sterling with the only goal of the game. But I thought it was a fairly well-balanced game. City, obviously, the better team and, and carried a lot more attacking threat. But Arsenal did have their moments where they looked like they could cause City problems. Ruben Diaz was, I thought he was tremendous. I think that partnership of him um, and Laporte is going to be really good. But they went with the back three in this one. And it was really, really attacking back three. I assume it was because they expected Arsenal to go 3-4-3. But Arsenal maybe surprised them a little bit. Now, the 4-3-3 they played became 3-4-3 in a lot of phases of the game one to match up with Arsenal and two, because it just gives them a bit more flexibility. Um, worrying injury to Nick Nicholas Pepe. I hope he's all right. I haven't, haven't seen what the, uh, the prognosis is on him, but city were, were very, very adventurous, very, very attacking. Um, I think Diaz is going to prove to be a great signing. I said it when they got him, I think it's a good three points for city. It's a deserved three points. i I have, the only concern I have with Arteta is I don't see enough yet going forward in big games. He seems to be very much safety first in these big games. And at some point, you have to remember, you're Arsenal Football Club. You're one of the biggest and baddest clubs in the world. You, you've, you've got to do more when you're going forward. You've, you've got to be better. You've got the talent. I mean, you know, Arsenal's attacking talent is, is up there with anybody. Um, he just needs to harness it properly. And the final game on Saturday then was uh, the tune playing host to Manchester United, and I don't really know what I watched. <laughs> it was it was a really really strange encounter. Uh, Newcastle go in front earlier. Uh, Luke Shaw own goal. Very very unlucky trying to cut out a cross. Gets a really heavy deflection on it and just pings past the hair. Um, but United did dominate this game. There's no question about it. They absolutely dominated this game. Uh Harry Maguire gets a goal. Really good to see him get his goal. Hopefully will help him settle down a little bit. Will you know get his confidence back. Um because it's been clear that his confidence has been all over the place, you know, this season. He, he might put himself forward as being someone of you know of great calm and great measure, but you could see he was rattled. And then United proceeded to pretty much lay siege to the Newcastle box. Now, they didn't create a whole lot of everything. Carol Darlow made a couple of good saves, but I thought United, they struggled to really, really create anything of note. Um, But they get a penalty. And for some reason... Only he will be able to answer. Bruno Fernandez changes his penalty approach. Much shorter run-up, and Carl Darlow saves it. And saves it quite comfortably. It was It's the worst penalty I've seen Bruno take, and I've been a Bruno fan for a long time, so I've seen him take quite a few. Um, I, I don't know why he changed his run-up for that one or why he changed the technique, but go back to what works, Bruno. Be a good lad. Uh, but he makes up for it. He gets his goal a few minutes later. Um, really, really well worked goal. United had just started to click through the gears at this point, they'd made a couple of substitutions, bringing uh, Donny van de Beek on, bringing Paul Pogba on, thought it was an interesting thing that Pogba didn't start and there's definitely got to be some questions asked now about van de Beek, I mean if Oli if is the one that wanted him and Oli is the one that made all the effort to sign him Shouldn't he be doing a little bit more to put him in the team? I mean, re- Dan James and Juan Mata, really? It's it's not worth changing your shape to get the guy that apparently you are the reason signed for the club? Seems an odd one. Um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka gets his first Man United goal. Uh, really, really well-taken goal. Heavy first touch. But an absolute rocket of a finish, and then Marcus Rashford scores a lovely goal to cap things off, uh, and cap off, uh, you know, yet yeah, another impressive weekend for him as a person and a player. Um, again, just what he's doing for you know helping childhood poverty and helping feed children that rely on the school meal system. Um, it's it it is remarkable. There's a petition you can sign. Go to Marcus Rashford's Twitter. Um and sign the petition to force the government to act on this. It, it's really really important. Um and speaking of forcing action and and helping. So obviously this was the first weekend when the pay per view games kicked in, and Newcastle versus Manchester United was was one of those pay per view games. Now. It turns out that a lot of Newcastle fans have taken great umbrage with this idea of pay per view, as have fans of, of all clubs. And what they did was they donated the money rather than giving the £15 to your mega rich broadcasters, they gave it to a food bank. Uh, and I, I'd like to encourage everybody uh, to donate to food banks, to donate either cash or food to your local food bank. Just a quick Google search. Will tell you where your nearest food bank is, and they they're crying out for your help. They need your help to help feed people, help families in need. We're coming into the winter now. Uh, we really do all need to chip in and help out. So find your local food bank. If even if you don't want to, even if you can't afford the fifteen quid, a fiver, a couple of tins of beans, anything at all, whatever you can do, some toilet roll some kitchen paper, whatever you can do to help others out uh, is massively appreciated. And trust me, you will feel good about it. So that's what I would encourage everybody to do, to follow the example set by the Newcastle fans. And congratulations to them. By and large, Newcastle fans are one of the best groups of of supporters in the country. So uh, really, really impressive from them. Hopefully we'll see more and more Fan bases do this as well Um, I know that uh, A lot of Man United fans do support Their local food banks It's a big thing in Liverpool as well And Andy Robertson has spoken about it A whole bunch of times So that's what I encourage you all to do To to donate to the your nearest food bank Whatever you can spare It will go an awful long way uh, Right, that was Saturday And then we roll into Sunday So Sunday was less exciting. It must be said, it was less exciting. Um Sheffield United against Fulham was I, I it was a bit of a if we're being honest, but it did have some moments. Um Fulham missed a penalty. Mitrovic blasts I, I don't understand why he hit it so hard. I'm not sure what he was trying to accomplish. And it was the only real chance Fulham had, had up until that point. Sheffield United did look like the better team. They created some half chances. I don't want to say they were good chances, but some half chances for Ollie McBurney. They just look like they're lacking that cutting edge. That's the big issue for them at the moment is that when the ball gets in the final third, they don't really know what to do with it. Uh, Max Lowe made his debut in this game and I thought he might make a bit of a difference and unfortunately got hurt and Jack Robinson come on, comes on and I've said before, I think Jack Robinson's a liability at centre-back he gives away the penalty it's a bit of a soft one but it is what it is um, Mitrovic misses and then Fulham get their goal anyway Adam Ola-Luckman really, really rolled his luck <laughs> the ball bounces off bounces off him He has two really good touches down to control it and set himself. And then absolutely wallops it into the far corner. It's a really, really well-taken goal. And in truth, I think Fulham deserved it. Because even though Sheffield United had probably been the better team, Fulham had really restricted them. And had started to kind of get a bit more of a foothold in the game. Um, I thought... I thought this setup from Fulham was good. I thought the way they lined up was impressive, though I wouldn't be playing Ola Aene as a a right-side centre-back for too much longer. Um, I'd be playing him as a wing-back where he belongs. But I thought that the change of shape worked for Fulham, and it's something I think they can look to moving forward. Now, whether they just did it to go, you know, matched up against uh, Sheffield United, I don't know. But I thought they deserved their lead. I thought they played... Some good football. It was nice to see Loftus cheek playing uh and, and starting a game of football in, in the Premier League. I think he's a really, really talented player, and I'd love to see him get a real a real crack at things this year with Fulham. Just the same as, as Adamola Luckman. Um Sheffield United Rheam Brewster comes on for his debut. Looks lively. They don't really create a whole lot of chances for him, but late on they do get a penalty again. It's two people going for one ball and it's a high foot on both sides. It's just that Robinson gets the ball and Mitrovic kind of kicks the back of his leg. So it it is a penalty, of course, but it's just it's an unfortunate kind of fluky one. Um, but Billy Sharp steps up and makes absolutely no mistake. Now, he did pretty much what Mitrovic did, just tried to bury it in the back of the net as hard as he could. But he's just a slightly better penalty taker and, uh, and he managed to score. It was a dull game. That's that's my takeaway from that. I thought it was a dull game. I, I haven't really enjoyed Sheffield United this season so far, but that's the first point for them. It's the first point for Fulham. It will be interested to see. Interesting to see if Burnley can uh, can finally get their first point um, when they face West Brom this evening. Um, what promises to be a nil nil, it just has nil nil written all over it. Um, after that, then Crystal Palace against Brighton, and oh, Hodge! I've I've tried, I've tried with the Hodge. I, I really have. I was I've been really enthusiastic about this Palace team, and then he does this. They score early, they get a penalty. Um. It's not a penalty. It's just not a penalty. T- Tariq Lamptey's five for three. He's not putting any kind of force on Batchewi. He's literally just trying to control his his movement. Um, he's. It's not like he's dragging out of him or anything like that. It that type of contact happens ten times a game. And it rarely gets given. And it gets given in this one. It's a a farcical penalty. But Zaha scores. And that's pretty much it from Palace. They have a goal that's allowed in the second half. With their only other real attack of note. But they had one shot on target in the whole game. And it was that penalty. Their XG for the game was 0.76. Their expected goals for the game was 0.76. You get 0.76 for a penalty. Their non-penalty expected goals was zero. They had no other shots on target. No other shots on goal. Nothing. They created nothing. They managed absolutely nothing in this game. It was as bad a performance from a home team in terms of any sort of ambition as I've ever seen. It was a shambles. Brighton, to their credit, they had plenty of the ball. They tried their very, very best. The lack of cutting edge and quality that I've spoken about did did harm them. The, the lack of uh, of a real reference point up front is not doing them any favours. Mo Pay's a good player. Tressard's a good player. Conley's a good player. None of them hold the ball up very well. They all want to run in behind. They're link players. They're not hold up players. They're not target man type players. It it is it is the weakness in this Brighton team is that when they when they attack, an awful lot of their attacks end with the ball just bouncing back off the front man, um because they just don't have good hold up play in the team. Um, Alexis McAllister though. I've been saying it. I I, I think this is the season he has. He breaks out and shows everybody in the Premier League how good he's going to be. Gets himself a goal. Late, late goal. Uh, But a little bit unlucky for Palace because it does take quite a big deflection. But it's, you know, you can only do what you can do. Uh, And then Lewis Dunk gets a red card for basically the same tackle as Pickford except less dangerous because he just sort of, from a standing start, throws himself at Gary Cahill, whereas Pickford was running at Van Dyke when he launched himself. Um, Straight red card. Dunk doesn't even debate it. He knows what he's done. He knows it's a shocker, and uh, he he deserves the red card. There's no question. Inquiries need to be had at Palace over that one. 34% possession. Like I said, one shot, and that's the penalty. Just a shambolic display, absolutely shambolic display from Crystal Palace, and and they'll, and Hodge will probably be happy with it. He'll take the point because they're now thirteenth, which is where he wants to finish. It's it, massively disappointing. Um, after that, then it got things did get a little bit exciting because uh, Spurs. Spurs looked like they were back to being the really good Spurs under Pochettino. And then they did the thing that made them Spurs, that coined the phrase doing a Spurs. So they go out, and for 20 minutes against West Ham, they just look absolutely phenomenal. They look like a team that's going to challenge for the league title. Uh, They score three goals. Harry Kane is everywhere, doing absolutely everything. Son is causing all manner of problems. and is buzzing in midfield. It's all going really, really well. And it continues to go well even into the second half. They hit the post. They probably could have scored another couple. They did seem to take the foot off the gas, it must be said. They did seem to let up a little bit. But then... In events that precede unfortunate actions, Spurs bring on Gareth Bale for his second Spurs debut around the same time that West Ham bring on Lanzini. And some Spurs fan tweets out, we're bringing on Bale, they're bringing on Lanzini, ha 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 levels or some such nonsense. Well, I bet you feel a bit foolish today. Uh, Balbuena scores to get West Ham one back. Davinson Sanchez puts through his own net. Bit unfortunate, but not much you can do. And then I, I, I still don't understand how this goal happens. Um, the cross into the box. Spurs actually deal really well with the first ball, and it's headed to an area. Where it's easily easily cleared. And for some reason Harry Winks has a really heavy first touch and plays it back into a central area where Lanzini runs onto it and hits a shot that I'm not convinced wouldn't still be travelling if if nothing had gotten its way. He absolutely wallops it. And it bends away from the keeper. It's it's just a gorgeous goal to watch. If you see the angle from behind. And just watch the arc and dip on the ball. It's sensational. And it's 3-0. And it's the most unlikely of comebacks. Because their first goal was 82 minutes in. And they'd had, I think, one shot on target to that point. Uh, They hadn't rolled over in fairness to them. They'd still tried to make a game of it. But a lot of that was when Spurs just sort of went into cruise home mode. Now, I love Graham Souness. You won't find many bigger Graham Souness fans than me. But his attempts to claim that you'd want your goalkeeper to save that were embarrassing. Mortifying, in fact. You could put three goalkeepers in they weren't saving that. It's an unbelievable goal. Just accept and admit that it's an unbelievable goal. If you want to blame someone, blame Harry Winks. Who should have just put his foot through the ball and booted it forty yards up the field, but instead tried to be clever. Um it, it's like I say, Spurs, they look like title contenders for the first half, and then they just did a Spurs and they crumbled. And that's that's four that's well, yeah, four points they've dropped uh, in very late situations here and at Newcastle. And they'll argue that the Newcastle one was unfortunate, but It was a handball. They'll argue that this one was unfortunately a ball it, lads. I'm sorry. Uh, Garrett Bale missed an absolute sitter. Worked the chance brilliantly for himself. Has to score. Just Has to score. Um, Final game of the day. Final game of the weekend. Was Leicester playing host to Aston Villa. And I have to say I, I, I thought this one was going to be a fairly high scoring draw. I thought we'd see both teams play quite open, but it was a bit more cagey than that. There was some good chances. There was a lot of good football played. Um, Wesley Fafana got his debut for Leicester, and I thought performed very, very well. Dealt well with Ollie Watkins. Dealt a lot better with him than Joe Gomez did a week ago. Um, you can tell, though, that this Leicester team is not a full strength. They massively miss Ndidi. They miss that presence in midfield, that drive. They're really missing Ricardo Pereira. Tim Tim Castagne is a good player, or Castagna. I don't know which it is. I think I think it's Castagne, but people call him Castagne. I'm gonna stick with Castagne until I hear him say differently. Uh, they're missing Ricardo Pereira. They really, really are. Ricardo Pereira is just on a different level. He's he's the top top player, and they miss Madison from the start of games. They miss that creativity. They obviously missed Vardy in this game, and they didn't have Seancho either. So they are without, you know, five starters. Um, but they're at home. They should be favorites to win the game. But instead, they struggled to create any real clear openings. just kind of feeding off scraps. Same with Perez. They missed that focal point with Vardy. They missed that out ball with Vardy as well. Um... And Villa stick around and stick around and stick around. And then in the 92nd minute, Ross Barkley breaks onto the ball in midfield and just has a go. Simple as that, just has a go. And the ball flies into the bottom corner. Um, There's nothing Kasper Schmeichel can do do about it. Villa only making one change in this game was, was strange. It was something that I didn't really know what to make of because there was a couple of their players I thought were really looking leggy. I thought they could have done with energy in midfield earlier in the game. But with that said, it would have been McGinn I would have looked to take off and he is the one that created the goal. So you can't really say too much. Uh, the defence, the Villa defence continues to look impressive, especially that right side with Cash and Konza. Um, and Barkley gets a second goal in a second Villa game. I thought he had a really good game throughout. I don't like to say I told you so, but I did tell you so. I told you if he gets a run in a team where he is not having to be the main man, but is also one of the better players, he is going to do really well. And thus far, he has been excellent for Villa. Um, I I would imagine they're already having discussions about whether or not they can afford to sign him next. And the answer is yes. Yes, you can. You have loads of money. So I think Villa are, look, they're not going to finish second, but they are for real this year. Without question, they are for real this year. Um, Unbeaten, the only team left unbeaten, and the the only team with a 100% record, I should say, left in the league, Everton, are obviously unbeaten as well. Uh, But Villa's defensive record is tremendous. Only two goals conceded so far. They just look in great form. They're playing full of confidence. They have the right players in the right areas. It remains to be seen if Bertrand Traore can break into the team because Trezeguet is playing really well and being, and he's really vital to them at the minute with the balance that he gives them. Um, all things considered, Everton first, Villa second, Liverpool third, Leicester fourth. I don't think anybody would have predicted that after Five games, Um, but Arsenal look better. Spurs look better than last year. Chelsea look worse than last year, but they will get better. They've got, you know, they've got too much talent. Whether they're going to be a top four team remains to be seen. Um, It's all very bunched down the bottom. We have four teams on one or zero points. It's it'll be interesting to see how Burnley do tonight. Burnley, obviously, play. West Brom tonight at the Hawthorns That's a 5.30 kickoff So it may already have started when you're listening to this And then Leeds against Wolves They'll both be They'll both be interesting games I won't go as far as say they'll both be exciting games I think Leeds against Wolves at Ellen Road Will be an exciting game uh, West Brom and Burnley Might not be the most exciting game You watch this season I must say It, it might be a bit of a dullard But give it a look anyway um yeah so all thing I'll, I'll I'll go through those two games tomorrow all things considered I think it's another interesting week uh in the Premier League uh I, I wish you know certain things had, hadn't happened or had ha- had happened differently but it is what it is we have to just you know roll with the punches uh injuries happen in the game um and and like I say I I don't wish any bad to come to Jordan Pickford I, I the, the idea of idiots on social media sending him threats stop that, just just stop that stop the tweets as well about you know how you hope he gets hurt, that's horrible that is genuinely horrible behaviour and karma will come around and bite you right on the arse I hope he gets a really bad rectal itch that's it, that's just me A really bad, deep rectal itch. Because he's probably got little fingers to go with his little arms. So he mightn't be able to get to it. And it might just be really, really uncomfortable to live with. Just for a couple of days. Or maybe a month. Maybe a month of a really bad rectal itch. Not not something that's in any way threatening to the rest of his health. Just a really bad rectal itch. That's what I hope Jordan Pickford gets and has to deal with. Um, but But aside from that... I I wish him all the best in his, you know, future career in the next iteration of Jurassic Park where he'll be playing a Tyrannosaurus Rex, a very, very small one, like a model size one. Uh, That's it. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to EPL Index, as always, for the platform. Thank you to Liberty Shield, our presenting sponsor. Check out their services at LibertyShield.com. Use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off your VPN either with the, with the hardware or just the software package. Thank you to Fox Haunt for our presenting title music. And, of course, thank you to producer Guy Drinkle for his incredible work every single day. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow. work.